0: I thought it said Liberate me, save me, but it's not me, it's Liberate Tutte me, save yourself and it gets worse. <laughs>
1: okay, retro, go. Hello and welcome welcome and hello this is wait you haven't seen and it's a show where we talk about movies and specifically we talk about a movie that at least one of us has never seen before I'm your host Travis aka TV's Travis this is episode number 111 and the movie this week was 1997's event horizon and joining me to talk about it because he had never seen it before from the so wizard podcast Mark Ellis. how you doing this week I am good I am good. I uh, <laughs> I really enjoyed
0: uh, finally crossing this movie off my list because it's been like a it's been like a monkey on my back for years, years and years.
1: Yeah. So I'm curious, how is it that you didn't see this? Because I, I haven't. I have to assume, given the podcast that you're on, that you watch a lot of sci-fi and a lot of horror. Yes.
0: Uh, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not really a horror fan. Okay. Uh, I like I like good movies, and if a good movie Movie happens to be a horror movie then i'm down for that but horror movies just in general um they don't really work for me because i my brain instantly starts to go well why don't they just you know <laughs> like a character walks into a dark room and i'm like okay well it's it's 2019 why don't they just pull out their cell phone and use the flashlight on their phone and look, look around but characters don't do that so then i'm, I'm out of the movie uh, so horror movies would never was never really my thing Okay. Uh, sci-fi is but this one just never came up um, in all the years that we've been doing a podcast it just never came up
1: fair enough fair enough so I have a little history with this movie and I kind of want to mention that because it, it sort of is the story of Event Horizon to me in a lot of ways so this movie came out in 1997 all right I was about 15 16 years old and the marketing for it at the time leaned very heavily on the sci-fi aspects of it. Uh, they, they ran, I remember watching like a half hour special on the, the upcoming movie on the sci-fi channel. Um, all the posters were showing the ship and they showed Lawrence Fishburne and Sam Neill on them. And the, the trailers were all, I mean, the trailers had a lot of the uh, one-liners like this ship is a tomb and you know, the whole ship is alive. And it gave you that haunted house in space feel. But they very much leaned on that that sci-fi aspect of it. So 15, 16 years old, me and about three of my friends get together. We want to go see this movie. We've been watching trailers for it all summer on TV. And my friend's parents say, well, they'll take us to the movie that night. So there's like six of us that go, four, four of us and his parents, and we pile into the theater. We're all ready, we watch the movie we were not prepared for what this movie actually is in any way whatsoever. And it was, it was six people that hated the movie walking out of it. I did not like this when I first saw it. Um, And it was about two years later uh, when I was on a, uh, a, a trip, I think for either cross country or track. And it w- it came on on like HBO in the hotel the night before the race. And, uh, a couple of the guys that were on my team that were staying in the room with me were like, oh, this movie's great. We need to watch that. I'm like, I didn't like this movie. Why am I going to, but you know, I'm, I'm a captive audience. I got nowhere to go and I'm outvoted three to one. So right. we sit down and watch it again and knowing what it was going into it. I enjoyed it. It was, it, it, it wasn't because I wasn't so, so jarred with it. Now, what did you know about the movie prior to watching it this time and seeing it for the first time?
0: I actually, did know it was a horror movie. Okay. Um, I knew it, it was a horror movie in space, and for some reason, <laughs> whenever anyone brought this movie up, you know, when some whenever Event Horizon would come up, my brain would immediately go to the movie Enemy Mine with oh. uh, Dennis Quaid, and Louis Gossett Jr. Yeah, because it's like it's the same kind of color for the the poster. Okay, I'm I can see that. Pretty yeah. sure they were like. Right right next to each other at the video store, um, in a sci-fi section.
1: Mm, um, yeah, and I okay. spent
0: many years in video stores. So whenever someone would say event horizon, I'm like, Oh yeah, I've seen that movie a hundred times. It was on HBO. Louis <laughs> was got such years in alien. He dispersed to a little baby alien. Yeah. I remember that movie. And then it's only afterwards that I'm like, Oh wait, no, you're talking about the other one with, uh, Lawrence Fishburne. No, I never seen that one. And this <laughs> happened year after year after year after year. So, um, yeah, I just, I never got around to seeing it. And like I said, whenever someone brought it up, my brain immediately went to enemy mine.
1: Yeah. I, you know what, given that they're both next to each other in the movie, uh, movie rental place, I can totally see that happening. Uh, they couldn't be more different, but, (laughs) um, now you mentioned about how you like good movies. And so that leads me to a question here of, how are you with Paul W.S. Anderson as a director? Because should... that typically isn't uh good movies aren't, aren't usually associated with him in terms of like objectively well, uh, well received movies critically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so how do you feel about him as a director?
0: Well, you know, it's funny you should say that because uh, during his time, uh, there's a new Mortal Kombat movie that's out. Right. Uh, and, we on a show on Soul Wizard, we did a uh, we guessed it on another show where we reviewed Mortal Kombat Annihilation, the second one, which is which was another movie that I had never seen before. Okay, uh, But I did see the first saw the first one in the theaters and I enjoyed it at the time. Uh, but in order to prep for this new one, I watched the first one again mm-hmm. and I figured, OK, I'm going to watch uh, the first Mortal Kombat. Uh, I know eventually I'm going to get around to watching. (laughs) I almost said Enemy Mine again. Damn it. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to watch Event Horizon for this show. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know what? I might as well just do a trifecta and watch Monster Hunter to Just might as well make this a Paul Anderson uh, week, you know, a couple of weeks. Sure. And I realized that I never thought he was a good director, and I still don't. I mean, I, I think he has talent. But I, I think it's the scripts that are either he doesn't – can either he can't control um, – he's not good at translating script to screen or he just has bad scripts. But I think he's a competent director. Um, nothing that he's done has ever impressed me at all mm-hmm. uh, except for the first Mortal Kombat. Um, and then I – and like I said, I watched that recently and I'm like, eh, it does kind of hold up. It's not great. But at the time, I thought it was good. And it's sure. – Compared to Mortal Kombat Annihilation, it's it's it's, uh, it's amazing. Staggering. Compared to
1: Mortal Kombat Annihilation, the first Mortal Kombat is Casablanca. Like <laughs> Annihilation is, it's everything that you don't want to see in a sequel, right? And like slashed budget, changing act. I could go on about Annihilation for a while, but that's interesting you say that because I kind of feel the same way. Like I don't look at and and you kind of have to go with Paul W.S. Anderson anymore. I know in the in this movie he's credited as Paul Anderson, and I think he was for Mortal Kombat. The problem was there was also Paul Thomas Anderson at the time, and they were getting confused for each other I think a little bit. Not like by people who actually knew, but just sort of wait, which Paul Anderson is this? So they, they diverged, and you had P.T. Anderson and Paul W.S. Anderson. Um, I never thought of him as a good director, but he has, he has things that he's good at and he has a style that he kind of sticks with. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think that he can create interesting visuals. You're right though. Some of his script work, either stuff that he writes himself, because I think resident evil, he write, wrote and directed. Um, and I th- soldier, I think was one that he might have. No, he didn't write soldier. Um, but I do think he has some trouble with some of the, um, translating script to screen. Some of that is his own fault. And some of it, in the case of this movie is timing. He, he had from the time this was greenlit until it was released in theaters, he had 10 months to make it. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) Which when I read that, uh, just blew my mind because that's a short turnaround time for any film. This is an effects heavy film. There's a lot going on in this and he had 10 months to do it. So the fact that this got made at all, uh, I think is pretty impressive. He also, um, because of that short turnaround time, he couldn't like a lot of really good production designers just passed on it. They're like, I don't, I don't have enough time to do that. Um, and I kind of get that, right? Like if I'm a production designer, I don't want to have that short a timeframe. I want time to be able to, to build my designs and, and things. So the fact that the movie looks as good as it does, I think, is kind of a testament to Paul Paul Anderson's uh, eye and kind of what he was able to get done. Um,
0: yeah, I would say he got really lucky with the production designer because the sets look amazing. And the fact that they were able to pull that off in that short amount of time, uh, whoever that production designer was, I hope he got a better job afterwards. I hope he got some recognition for that because sure. the sets are staggering.
1: Yeah. And a lot of good miniature work in this movie, too. Um, This is uh, is 97, so there was CG being done and there's CG used in the movie, which I don't really feel like aged very well. Um, Nope, not at all. I mean, thankfully, it's not super heavy use, uh, which I think would have really hurt it. In fact, in some ways, the budget of this movie caused it to not have as much CG at the time because I think late 90s, that would have been a lot more expensive to do. But you're right. Like this, it didn't hold up. The the floating stuff in the zero gravity you could tell was all modeled and just didn't look good. Uh, but the miniatures, the the ship, especially the event horizon, looked to me looked great. I and I love good miniature work, um, and spaceships really lend to it. And it's got that really just unique shape and look to it. Um, and I, I thought that was really cool. There also is an Easter egg um, if you ever watch it again. There's a, a full um, X Wing buried uh, no. inside of the event horizon in one of the structures. So <laughs> something to look for when they're doing their little flyby with the lights on. You see a, a full on X Wing sitting in there. But yeah, when I just I couldn't believe that. Like ten months to turn around a movie and they gave them a budget of about sixty million dollars. Um it, it made in the US twenty six. Uh, and it had oh. basically no worldwide um, at all, and that's rough. Um, now I did read that. Uh, so are you are you familiar at all, or have you read any of the kind of the history of this movie?
0: Uh, not necessarily. I did okay. hear a little bit of an interview with um, with him and a, and one of the producers on the movie. Um, I know that he he supposedly turned down X Men. to do this movie. So thank God.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And, and I think both for Paul Anderson and for the X-Men movie, that was the right move, right? Yes. It wouldn't have been a good movie for him to do both for the movie X-Men itself, but also I don't think it would have fit for Paul Anderson. He, part of the reason he turned it down was he had just done uh, mortal Kombat 95 and he wanted to do something uh, a little darker and a little more um, mature themed. So he, he ended up going this route Um, because there was a couple other uh, projects that he could have worked on uh, X-Men being one of them, but he wanted to make this movie. Now I read that uh, one of the kind of upper higher ups at Paramount after the movie came out was like, okay, you know, we kind of botched this one a little bit and it comes back to what I was talking about with some of the marketing for this and how heavily they leaned on the sci-fi end of things, not going for the the straight-up horror, because this was influenced by Hellraiser. Um, Paul Anderson has said that. And not really leaning into that at all kind of hurts it because it's an R-rated film already, and now you're getting people like me at 15 years old. And look, I don't have a problem with horror movies, but I was just wasn't prepared for what type of a horror movie we were getting when I went in and saw it. And the the guy at Paramount basically said, Yeah, um, we kind of botched this one because the original cut of this movie was an hundred and thirty minutes long. Now it's right now it clocks in about ninety-five minutes. So they test screened a hundred and thirty-minute cut of this movie that was drastically more violent than it already is. Um its original rating was NC seventeen. They cut it to an R at an hour and uh at two hours and ten minutes. And they test screened it and the test audience hated it and the, the executives at Paramount hated it. So they told him he's got to cut out another 30 minutes of the movie and tone it way down. So this is the toned down version of what Paul Anderson wanted to make. If that gives you an, any idea of kind of what we were, what we had in store for us. Yeah. Um, so he did Mortal
0: combat, and he was just ready to cut loose. It's like enough of this PG 13 crap. I'm going to go big. Yes. Give me all the blood and guts.
1: Oh boy. And, and some of the stuff I read, uh, that was cut was things like the, the scene where they, um, the, the whole, uh, ship's log, when they decode that and they watch that video, that was much longer, um, and more graphic. And one of the things they did, and this is brilliant filmmaking in terms of like, we're going to create this scene and we're going to do some authenticity for it. But, um, they had cast for that particular scene a lot of uh, amputees. And so there were um, scenes where, like, somebody's trying to, there were shots in that that were like somebody trying to crawl away and his legs getting bashed up, you know, up and like parts of them being left behind because he had no legs so they could get away with that or like limbs broken and just, I mean, horrendously graphic stuff. Like, reading the descriptions, I don't think I want to see it, but I can understand what they were going for. Um, the, the scenes of like, uh, when the ship is showing him what hell will look like, there was more of that and it was even more graphic and there would be just all this stuff was, was, was just amped up so much more. Um, the Jason Isaac's death was worse originally. Um, if you can believe that. And so the, the, the guy at Paramount from the interview that uh, I saw with Paul Anderson basically told him like, okay, we kind of botched this. I feel like we should let you put out a director's cut of the movie and let you put out your movie. Probably figuring at this point, look, we've already lost money on this. Maybe we can make some back with a director's cut, right? Mm -hmm. So this movie being made in 97, (laughs) this is pre, like DVDs weren't super popular yet. So extra cuts of movies didn't happen as often. And the storage of the original film was either not cat- uh, not cataloged or they, they put it in all sorts of random places. So Paul Anderson, like, searched around trying to find his film cans and he couldn't find them or they were stored improperly and most of his footage is destroyed. Oh, uh, way, to, I think, way to go
0: Paramount, Jesus. Yeah, I think it, it,
1: one of the things they had was it was like a some cave in Transylvania. They were keeping film stock in for Paramount and improperly housed. And so it just deteriorated and destroyed the film. Um, in 2012, somebody actually found a VHS copy that had some of those deleted scenes in them. And they gave it to Paul Anderson and he watched it and said that the quality of it was almost unwatchable and he couldn't, he couldn't do it from that. So there's, there's a couple of things on like a collector's edition DVD that came out, um, of, uh, storyboarded stuff and a couple of deleted scenes, but yeah, there was all sorts of stuff that he wanted to put in here and the, apparently the studio was ready to let him do a director's cut and he just can't do it. So we may never see that. Um, which is a bummer for Paul Anderson, I think more than anything, just because Uh, you can, you you, you can kind of feel like this was a passion project for him. If he's turning down, uh, somebody, um, Artemis in the chat brought up, uh, alien resurrection was another one that he turned away, uh, to do this. And, um, uh x files they were going to offer him x files
0: yeah if he's you know he's already built his uh, library of films right now you know what i mean like he's mm-hmm. still he's a still he's working now he's he's a working director so and he's married to mila Jovovich. so he's fine yeah oh he, he doesn't need yeah. a director's cut of venera right he's okay
1: no you you're not wrong there i just i feel like a movie that goes through that and bombs so hard on something that he was basically told, look, you're, you can't do what you want to do. And then it bombs. So like, okay, maybe you can do what you want to do. Why not? And he can't, like, he just, he isn't allowed to do it at that point because the film's just gone. It's not there anymore. That just kind of bumps me out a little bit, but I think it's because now when I watch this movie, I can see the potential for what it could be. Um, it, it falls short of that. I still like the movie. Um, I enjoy it quite a bit. I think it's got a great cast. It's got some fun, um, performances. Uh, you know, Sam Neill just goes straight up over the top by the end of it. He's a cartoon character, um, as Dr. William Weir, but I like Sam Neill in just about anything. So, uh, you know, it's one of those things, but but I just feel like there was potential here that kind of got hamstrung and I w- so I'm sort of six and one half dozen of the other. Like I want to see his, his vision, what he kind of, where he was going with it. But then I think about it and I'm like, but do I, do I want to, or should I just like not eat anything for a couple of days beforehand, just in case? Like, I don't know. Well,
0: um, I do know that there was there was a, a special edition uh, Blu-ray that they've been advertising for the past I don't know, month or so. Hmm. Um, so Event Horizon has been in the ether. And I was really afraid that I was going to come across a spoiler um, before I got a chance to watch it because it's been it's people are talking about it again. So I don't know what's on that, that Blu-ray. Hmm. Uh, but now that I seen the movie, I can actually check out the article. So maybe there's some some newer stuff that's been put on there
1: could be um i know i did see some of the deleted stuff on um the uh special edition dvd that came out a number of years ago and it was all that was mostly storyboards and like here's what we would have done if we'd been allowed to um and there was a few things they cut for pacing too there was a scene there was originally a scene at the beginning of the movie that showed the crew of the lewis and clark doing a different rescue to kind of set them up and sort of introduce them that they ended up they scrapped the idea before they, they shot it because it was just going to start the movie off to, uh, and ruin the pacing, which I kind of get. Because um, at an hour and a half, it's a quickly paced movie, um, which is weird for a haunted house because you want to do all that setup and kind of build up. So this really is an hour. And I wrote in my notes, there's kind of two turning points, but it's kind of this long drawn out bit. And then it goes the last half hour where it really kind of kicks into gear but for me and i'm curious if you thought this too watching it but the two turning points for me were the scene with the airlock and the young kid in there um because up until that point the movie has been very much like uh kind of trying to build the atmosphere not really showing us a lot right uh we had the one floating uh corpse but outside of that, it's been more of what you don't see and kind of what went on here, and we're trying to figure it out. And then they have that scene, and that scene's pretty, um, for me, pretty, it, like a pretty powerful scene, just because you get to see the interaction between some of these characters, and plus it was very bloody. So that was the first turn, uh, but then it's the a, se- a, oh, I just ahead.
0: want to say, that that scene is really, it, it shows that Paul W.S. Anderson is a good director. Like that scene is very suspenseful. It's done very well. The blood effects, the zero gravity blood effects, I thought were actually really good they mm-hmm. were surprisingly good at that time. Um, and yeah, it does. It, it does a really good job of showing exactly who these characters are. The fact that, uh, Lawrence Fishburne's character does work so hard and is so calm and collected to try to save, uh, I want to say his name is Justin, to try yeah. to save Justin's life. Um, like that whole scene just it it really elevated the characters. it was quick pace, it had nice blood, and it, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, Paul Anderson is good, yeah, he's a good director um so yeah i i I definitely see what you mean why that part things kind of turned it up, it turned up a notch a
1: little bit, yeah, that was the first corner of the movie turned, and I were like, okay, all right, so now i now I kind of have an idea of what I'm watching uh and and granted this is this is the me. That's seen the movie a couple of times, not the 15 year old me that was like, what is happening? Why is there so much blood in my space movie? But um, the second one was an hour into the movie when they're collecting the CO2 scrubbers and she turns around and goes back into the room because she thinks she sees her son. And that's the moment when the movie turns it up to 11 and says, oh, you thought it was bloody before. (laughs) Let us show you something now. And it's really where it, it cranked it up. And I am of two minds of the last half hour of this movie. Okay. Um, I I don't dislike it, but it's for me the weakest part of the movie is the last half hour uh, because I feel like it tried to cram in too much too quickly. And when I watch it now, I feel the the sort of, oh, we had to cut a bunch of movie out of here. Like characters do stuff like, and basically it's mostly Weir. Weir goes from zero to 11 immediately. There's no like slow slip into the space madness and getting taken over by the ship that you kind of, I, I want more of that because I want that downfall for him. And there's too many moments where you know, he's he's already established that he is a bad guy and he does the whole, you know, sh- the, you can't leave the ship, she won't let you, I am home. And then he right. walks into the room and he sees her there and he's all concerned, you know, Peters, what happened? So, and then he has the moment where he, you know, tears his own eyes out from the, the vision that the ship gives him. So it's like, it, that feels, there's too much, too much flip-flopping going on too quickly for me. Uh, in that last half hour. Um. Yeah, and I I absolutely
0: agree, because I couldn't... That was the thing, is that I wasn't... I knew the movie was setting up that this ship was like a haunted house. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't quite get a bead on his character. Like, was he generally concerned about the missing ship for seven years? Uh, Did he know what the gateway was going to do? And he's just curious to see, like, what the ship brought back, mm-hmm. um, how much was he connected to the ship? And I couldn't quite get a grasp on it because like you said, there's a part of it where he's like, I am home. And he's backs away into the shadows and you're like, Ooh. But then after that, when he goes into the room and he sees, uh, the other character when she falls from the top and hits the bottom and he's all like, Oh no. Oh no. Like he, he, he's showing care for her. So I'm mm-hmm. like, wait, are you connected to the ship? Or are you not connected to the ship? Like, I couldn't quite get a beat on what what his motivation was. Um, so when he did rip his eyes out and he becomes the cartoon character, I'm like, yes, finally. I, I understand it now. Just let's just let's just do what it do. Let's just see what it see where it goes. Yeah. So I, I did appreciate that turn.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely I did. It's just like I want that to take longer or give me more of that. You know, give, give me yeah. more. Don't don't just go from off to on. It's not binary. He's not good and then evil. He should he should slip and and fall out of it, or give us give us something in his backstory to make us think that he could go that direction. Because the movie starts off, you're right. You, is he just concerned for the ship, or does he know anything more than he, what he's letting on? And they they try to make it seem like he doesn't know any more. I don't know. It's it, it gets a little bit confusing, but over like I like Sam Neil in it because Sam Neill is just he's cool and he's good. He is so good at playing that just on the edge of... You're not sure how sadistic he can get. Like, what yeah. level he's going to go to. And Sam Neill, for some reason, just has this weird presence where he can pull that off. Um, and we haven't talked a ton about the cast, but the cast in this is pretty good. Lawrence Fishburne is Captain Miller. I mean, Lawrence Fishburne, how do you go wrong there? What I What I did notice on this watch is this felt like and maybe it's just because it's Lawrence Fishburne, but he was playing this character to me felt like, uh, an angrier, more aggressive version of the Morpheus character. He would play a couple of years later. Right. And, and and maybe I'm, you know, on my own on that, but it felt like this character informed a lot of what he did with Morpheus, but Morpheus is Captain Miller after he's, uh, gone through some Zen Buddhism.
0: (laughs) Uh, you know, I didn't quite catch that. It it did take me a a second to try to remember exactly where, um, where Matrix came, uh, regarding Mm -hmm. this movie. It was a couple of years afterwards. Um, yeah, I definitely felt he was more, um, I don't know. He just seemed like, like, like the captain that you would want, the no nonsense captain who, you know, everyone respected, Yeah. his one word. And people will be like, okay, we, we got a captain. Like, they will follow him anywhere and that he would do whatever he could to help his crew, save his crew. Um, yes. And he was all about the mission. So I, I thought that his character had a very straight line. There was no like really wavering in his character at all. The thing that I did pick up on, and I don't, I don't know if this was – I don't know if this was in a script or maybe I'm just imagining it, but – I think there was a little something between him and not the not the blonde with the hat, not her, but the uh, the other the um, guy, oh, the character with the, with the brown hair. Yeah, Peters. Yeah, one who was who had the son that that she kept seeing. Because there's a there's a part of, in the in the beginning of it, right before they go into the uh, the cryo cryostasis mm-hmm. thing, Um, and you see them in a the background, and they are really chummy chummy, like they are they're not speaking like a captain and his subordinate. Like they are taught, they're speaking like really, really close. And I'm like, Oh, all right. So that, that's going to, that's going to come into uh, fruition a little bit later on. I'm thinking, but then right after that, he has a scene where he sits down with her and he's like, I'm sorry, I had to bring you along. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know, you know, uh, this is difficult for you. And she talks about her son and her ex is going to take care of it. So I'm like, ah, there's, there might be a little bit something going on between them. And then, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> there's nothing else after that. And I think, um, I think there was supposed to be something between him and the other lady, the, the blonde with the hat, because mm-hmm. they have they have a weird scene at the end where he goes to save, he goes off to uh, uh, blow up the ship or yeah. hit the explosives, and she's in a doorway and she's like, "I'm coming with you," and he's like, "No, <laughs> you right. stay here, you get this ready." And then she just kind of looks at him and he looks at her and then he goes off and I'm like, what, what, what was that?
1: So, yeah, I did read that um, there was a plan. There was a plan at one point to have some romance between Miller and Stark, the blonde, Jolie Richardson. Uh, and then they kind of scrapped it. But that must have been just a little bit of leftover. Um, it's interesting that you picked up on Peters, though, because I didn't notice that. I, I've never noticed that. I just kind of felt like that was a just a, a close kind of personal friendship between the two of them. Like he understands that stuff with her son is difficult. Um, cause they really wanted to make that crew of the Lewis and Clark feel like a family. So they, yeah. they're a family and captain Miller is absolutely 100% dad and nobody questions dad. And that I did like, and Lawrence Fishburne has a presence about him and his voice. He's got a voice that you, you, are just like, mm-hmm, yep, I'll listen. You straighten right up. Uh, <laughs> Which I like. There's the scene where um, Smith, who's played by Sean Pertwee, who I love. I love Sean Pertwee and every, everything I see him in. I don't know what it is about the guy. Um, it's not just because he's son of the third doctor, uh, John Pertwee, either, Artemis. I can see you in the chat. But uh, he's he's freaking out on uh, Weir, and he's yelling at him. He's trying to, he's trying to attack him, and... Captain Miller grabs him and slams him down on the table and just yells at him. He, I need you calm. I need you cool now. And he just instant. He, he's, yeah. he's almost like a whipped puppy. And he's like, yes, no, I'll, I'll do what you want. No, no problem. And I love that because that's a nice way to establish the, not only the pecking order, but also the relationships between these characters quickly without having to have this long drawn out. Like we don't have to have an exposition dump of, of, how they all get along. We just can get it through their interactions. Um, of course we did have the tropey you know, here's the introduction scene and we're going to go through everybody's name and what they do. Um, but in a movie like this, I kind of like that because the cast is so small. Yeah. So, uh, and, and it's got that great laugh where Jason Isaacs, who plays DJ, uh, gets to call, you know, talk about his job being trauma and everybody laughs at him because he's just, he's so (laughs) self-serious throughout the whole movie. um, Uh, I mean, Jason Isaacs in this, uh, this is not the first movie I can remember him in, um, because I had seen Dragonheart before this. I know that for sure, but this was an early one for me to recognize him in. Right. And I guess that, that kind of makes sense now that I think about it being, you know, 15, 16 when I saw it. Um, Mm -hmm. but like Isaacs, Sean Pertwee, uh, Richard T. Jones is Cooper who is sort of, he's your comic relief, I like his character, although it makes zero sense whatsoever how he gets back to the ship. Um, when the, after the Lewis and Clark blows up.
0: Yeah. He kind of like floated. Well, he floated away and then he used like his air to like, kind of go back to the ship.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which
0: I got blown away again.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Poor guy. So the Lewis and Clark blows up, he gets knocked off of that thing. And, and knocked away from... They're, they're circling around Neptune. But here's the reason that it makes no sense, is he's on a part of the Lewis and Clark. It's spinning through space at this point. Yep. <clears throat> yep. He's going to blow his oxygen tanks and use that momentum to shoot himself back to the ship. Okay, all right. Logically, I can get behind the concept that he's going for. The problem I have with it is at this point, he's spinning... So he can't really aim himself very well. You can't see the ship that he's aiming at. And he managed to hit the bullseye, throwing a dart from several hundred thousand kilometers away, for all I know, uh, on the first try. Like, huh? Okay. I mean, granted, we're talking about a movie where a ship goes to hell and comes back. So I guess, you know, park your, uh, park your incredulity at the door. But that was like, there, there's suspension of disbelief. And then there's like, no no you you can't you can't pull that one off um but you're right no, and, then, I, and then he gets blown totally, up again
0: so i I totally bought it because I didn't want the character to die like that like when they once the ship blew up, I'm like, oh man, he's dead and then they showed him like floating in space I'm like, oh wait, maybe he gets to come back so yeah, I don't care how they brought him back I don't care if a even though there is no aliens, I don't care if an alien swooped out of nowhere <laughs> and brought him back to the ship. I just didn't want him to die, so I right, was totally fair, fine enough.
1: fair enough. Fair um, enough. But that he also led to the second one of those moments in the movie where I was just where you again have to suspend disbelief so much, and that is when we who now has no eyes and has his eyes sewn sewn shut picked up the the bolt gun, and he's he's about to shoot at Lawrence Fishburne. When uh, Cooper hits the window and so he just turns and fires at him and it blows out the front window of the event horizon and decompresses the, the, the bridge. Okay. Yep. That makes sense. What doesn't make sense is how a passed out Stark isn't immediately flung out the window. (laughs) And Captain Miller is able to hold on and pull himself against the explosive decompression along a wire, which not really. Um, and out of the room, which also I liked how the the threshold of that door was like magic. There was explosive decompression on one side of it. On the other side, you could just stand there like it was nothing. <laughs> Meanwhile, the the chair that uh, Weir is sitting in is bolted down and gets ripped out. Those bolts get ripped out, but, but Captain Miller's uh, man hands can hold him in place. Right. So that's some of that where I'm talking about, like some of the stuff in that last half hour kind of fell apart a little bit for me. Um, But at the same time, it does make for a fun scene to talk about with people like, yeah. I mean, Lawrence Fishburne literally pulls himself out of, out of there and then pulls Stark out of there. uh, And they both survive somehow. But.
0: See now, you sound like me when I watch a horror <laughs> movie. Like, how is that happening?
1: But well, again, I, you know, like, I, yeah, you, I
0: mean, you you spend this much time with these characters in this situation. By the time you get to the third act, it's just like, just you know, I'm in popcorn mode now. Just entertain me, thrill me. So mm-hmm. I threw all of that like right out the window. I didn't even care. I'm like, <laughs> oh, he's able to he. You know, grabs the core and he pulls himself into the room. And I'm like, "Oh, good, he's safe." And then he hears a voice, "Oh, Captain!" <laughs> like, "Oh, crap! I gotta reach back and save you." Uh, so well, yeah, I enjoy that—the the axe holding the door open. It's right about to close. Yeah, give me all of that—that uh—that 1930s popcorn cliffhanger type of stuff in it, at this part. I'm 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 totally down with it.
1: Oh, sure. I You know, at the end of the day, I enjoyed the movie. I just, I have to nitpick that a little bit because watching it this time around, I hadn't seen it in a few years and I had forgotten that um Jolie Richardson gets knocked unconscious at the beginning of that scene. So she's just laying on the floor and I was like, wait, how, what is she holding on to? Uh <laughs> To not have already gone out the window. Um So it was one of those where it's like, ah, man, I have to, I have to mention it because it's just, it's so silly <laughs> that it, but it also fits with uh, Paul W.S. Anderson in a lot of ways, too. He yeah. he sort of he reminds me a little bit of he's a different version of. But Stephen Summers does that a lot in his movies, too, where Steven Summers is just like, look, I'm just going to make the movie that I want to make. And if Brendan Fraser has to run faster than the speed of light in order to outrun the sun coming up, he then he does it. That's just mm-hmm. that's just how it goes. And I think Anderson does that a little bit, too. It didn't take me out like it didn't. It doesn't detract from my love of the movie, so um, I'm fine with that. And you're right. Like, the, the whole thing with Cooper is silly, but you don't want that character to die because he's fun. He's, he's, he's got my favorite line in the entirety of the movie, which is when he walks up to Stark after she comes out of her cryo, uh, cryo couch offering her something hot and black. When she <laughs> says no, he offers her some coffee. Right. Um,
0: <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't sure if I should bring that up, but yeah, that's, why, that's probably one of my favorite lines, too. And he's like, would you like something hot and black inside you? And she's like, no. <laughs> would you like some coffee?
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's great. And I like, I mean, Richard T. Jones is just, he's got so much charisma. Like, he's just a, he's a, he's a guy, he's an actor who plays characters you like. And it was yeah. the same thing with Jack Noseworthy as Justin. Mr. Justin is another one of those characters. You just like him. I guess there was also some backstory between those two um, where Cooper, it, his biggest fear is losing somebody he cares about. And so that sort of leads into the, re- the reason that Justin um, gets sucked into the the blackness inside the, mm. the gravity drive, which that was another part of the movie that, again, the logical part of my brain is like, wait a minute, why are they splitting up into a derelict ship and not doing the buddy system? Like There should have been four people in two teams of two and never leave anybody alone. Um, but you know, that's, that's again, that's the horror movie. Like, no, they have to do this because otherwise right. there's no reason for him to be alone, to have things happen that starts everything. So, um, but I, I like Justin as a character. I, he was one of those that I always wish was in the movie more. Um, but he's kind of that emotional cause he's the young guy in the crew, right? He's the one, both Cooper and Peters call him baby bear.
0: Uh, right. A couple and that of times. immediately, that immediately makes you go, Oh He's the one that we have to look out for. That all the other characters care for, and you instantly, just by them calling him that name, you instantly like are worried for him, or you instantly care about him yep. because you see how the other characters react to him.
1: Exactly, that's that shorthand. I love stuff like that Um, because it just it gives me something emotionally to latch onto right away. As soon yep. as he, as soon as he calls Peter's Mama Bear and she's calling him Baby Bear, it's, and that was another thing too. I love. I love the shot of him when he's putting the suit on because uh Captain Miller's like Mr. Justin you ready to go for a walk and he hops out of his chair and runs out of the room and then you see him putting the suit on getting the helmet on and he's walking it looked to me like like somebody's little brother getting to go along on the trip finally like he's mm-hmm. he's got like chest puffed out kind of walking all all like he's just he can't believe how lucky he is to get to do that and that to me I didn't I've never noticed that until this viewing of this movie um uh, and I was like, oh, that's that's so perfect for him. That's just so great. And Jack Nosworthy is a there's a lot of actors in this that I feel like are really good and just don't have a a big enough career, like not enough people know the actor, but they very like you say Jack Nosworthy, nobody knows who you're talking about, but you've seen him in stuff before. Same with Sean Pertwee. Jason Isaacs and Lawrence Fishburne and Sam Neill are probably the most, I would say, name recognizable. Um, and yeah, really... I would say
0: that, I would say that Jason, Isaac, Jason Isaacs, who, by the way, when, when I saw his name come up in the credits, I'm like, oh, going to get to see a young Jason Isaacs. This should be cool. And he looks exactly the same. I like know. this guy does not age at all. It's amazing. It's crazy. Um,
1: I just saw him in an episode of Highlander the series, which would have been about four years before this, and he mm-hmm. looks the same. Like the the dude hasn't aged. It's weird.
0: Yeah, it's it's but he's one of those actors that, like you said, you've seen him in other things, but he's he's an actor that's been able to uh transcend that. Like mm-hmm. he's he started out just like like all the other guys, and you would watch a movie and be like, "Oh yeah, I know that guy, I've seen that guy before, but not know his name, but he's one of the few actors that's been able to actually transcend and get to that point where uh, uh you see his face and you're like, "Oh yeah, I definitely know who that guy is now,
1: yeah, I mean Lawrence Fishburne, he's been around, he's done a lot of good stuff, and he's a name that a lot of people know um i I always like to joke that you know Cowboy Curtis because that was one of his earlier <laughs> roles back in peewee's big or Peewee's uh playhouse days. Um, but you're right. Jason Isaacs has done that. And because for a long time I was like, oh yeah, that's the dude that was, he was in, um, what was it? Uh, he was in Dragonheart. He was in, uh, uh, he had a, a short kind of small role in Armageddon and in this movie and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, he's become, uh, a lot more than that now. And I think, you know, playing Lucius Malfoy helped that. Um, and just, a, a screen presence that he has, he has a, a look about him. His look is very unique. He's got striking eyes. Yeah. Uh, he's a good-looking man. So. I think the
0: uh, the role that really, like, burned in my, in my head for him was uh, the Patriot. He played the villain in The Patriot mm-hmm. with Mel Gibson. I'm like, oh, my God. This guy is, like, as soon as you, his character was so evil in that movie. Oh, yeah. That once you saw him in other movies, you hated him. <laughs> Even though he's played a completely different character, it's like, oh, it's that guy. I hate that guy.
1: Yeah, you know, and he's good enough that he can be a villain. He plays a really good villain. But when you put him in a movie like this uh, and let him be kind of a good guy, because he really is, he do- he almost doesn't deserve... He doesn't deserve what happened to him, I don't think. Yeah, yeah. Um. So, yeah, I I I mean, this cast is great. And that's one of the reasons I think why the movie can look as good as it does, because it's a small cast. So... It's it's a hard-hitting cast with Fishburne, with Neil, with uh, Isaacs, and Sean Pertween, everybody, but you don't have a ton of people you've got to pay to be in the movie, so you can really put a lot of that budget towards the look, um, which I like the look of this movie. It makes zero sense whatsoever. <laughs> like, outside of the Lewis and Clark, nothing designed on the event horizon makes any sense to me at all, logically, but it looks so damn cool. Um, yeah. Like I would say I something I did notice about it,
0: about the, the interior of the event horizon was that it had almost like once I realized that they were talking about the ship was going to hell. I'm like, oh, there's probably some more like religious type of uh, themes in it. And then you look at, at that ship and it has like, you know, pillars and like <laughs> rounded door frames. And it's like it's almost like, like a church almost.
1: It's funny you say that because they actually did a lot of the design was based off of uh, I think it was Notre Dame cathedral um, Ah. was the sort of some of the design kind of influence of it and uh so it's really cool that you picked up on that because yeah i i that i do like um it's for me it's more of all the stuff back in the engineering area that looks really really cool and makes no sense like all the big spikes in the room with the gravity drive i don't understand why you would have four foot long metal spikes in that room but okay um and they also totally hand-wave away the meat grinder walkway. <laughs> as soon like, as he
0: said that, I'm like, oh, that's that's going to come back. Like That's going to be something. Well, and then and, when he when he uh, walks into the room, like the other part of the ship, it looks kind of like a normal spaceship. You know, it has like yeah. a big hallway. It looks kind of futuristic. And then he walks in that tunnel and is like, oh, it looks, looks like a giant meat grinder. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's... That's kind of scary. And then you go into the next room where it's just, it's just evil looking. It's just spikes and teeth all over the place. I'm like, oh my God, this ship is definitely going to kill somebody.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so a couple of things about that. One was, um, some of the trivia that I've read has said that, uh, the, the meat grinder room and all of this is sort of playing off of Dante's Inferno and the circles of hell. Um, I can kind of see that. What was funny is we had uh a couple of uh checkoff devices in this that were mentioned and then brought up later the explosives in the long hallway and the c o two scrubbers are the types of things where you know they mention them at the beginning of the movie and they're gonna become important later. but the meat grinder never got used as a meat grinder. nobody like you would think they would have somebody fall off of that and get ground up or something like that, and it never really happened, but I guess filming in that was a nightmare um which i can understand if you've ever been in like a a weird like um oh uh like a ripley's believe it or not or a fun house where they've got a room like that they're super disorienting and they had to they could only shoot stationary shots in that area because the cameramen would get all out of whack and like fall over to me that's hilarious but also uh the shot where Lawrence Fishburne is supposed to run through it at a sprint, he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it all in one take, so they had to cut it together because he would and I've tried walking in a room like that before and it's disorienting. I could not imagine trying to run like in a full sprint. Um but yeah, like you go through that thing and then you get into the next room and it's just nothing but spikes and big, nasty looking stuff, and that that now the the gravity drive itself, that thing looks so cool. I like that reveal with those big rings and the lights and all of that—such a cool-looking design. But man, I that room is not practical. Not,
0: I, I couldn't believe like how, how good it looks. I thought it—it's it, so massive. It's like it's got to be like a, like a really well-done CG uh, object. But no, they—I think they actually really built that.
1: Yeah, I think that was a practical piece.
0: That, and that's amazing. That's mm-hmm. huge. It gives you an idea of where the budget for this for this movie went to because that that spinning gravity thing was just, it was gorgeous.
1: Yeah, it really, really was. I mean and that's the thing. Like like I say, I, you have to park your brain for this movie in general. Um, but when it comes to the functional design, Nothing realistically would ever get designed that way to be functional, but damn, does it look cool? Like it just <laughs> gives it the, the, the look that you want. Yep. Um, so I have, I have a piece of trivia. I want to, I want to give this piece of trivia to you. Um, and then I have to ask your opinion of it. So it reads like this, although the film met with mostly negative reviews and a disappointing box offers result at the time of its release to say the least, it, was, it amassed a considerable cult following over the years. Director Paul W.S. Anderson said that this movie's cult status was predicted to him years before by Kurt Russell. Anderson screened Event Horizon and before they had started working on Soldier, and Russell said, forget about what this movie is doing now. In 15 years, this is going to be a movie you're glad you made. I have, I have reservations in believing that Kurt Russell said that to him. I don't know. I don't know why. It it doesn't feel like, like you would have. Uh, maybe that's just me. Now he wasn't wrong. Like it's got a huge cult following. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was just one of those. Because when I when I scroll through trivia, I'm always like, mm, really? Did did that really happen? Like, and that's that's one that I'm just I'm not sure. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think Kurt Russell actually said that before they made uh, Soldier?
0: I I actually would believe that. Uh, Kurt Russell has been in the game for a while. So I think he probably has an idea of, um, of I wouldn't say what works and what doesn't work, but probably has an idea of uh, of film directors getting their vision out and uh, people's perception of it. Uh, he probably experienced it with um, uh, Escape from New York. You no, know, that, that it might have been something that kind of reminded him of that. Um, but also, if you're <laughs> if you're a director for the movie that you're about to start is like kind of like hemming and hawing and feeling down about himself about this movie that just bombed at the box office, and <laughs> you probably want to give him a little pep talk. Be like, ah, dude, you're a genius. The world just doesn't understand you. In 15 years, they're going to love this movie. So let's, let's get to work. Let's get to work on this movie.
1: Okay, I can buy it that way. You, you've you convinced me. I could buy that Kurt Russell said that to him. Like, look, we're going to make this next movie. I know your last one didn't do well, but it'll be great. In 15 years, you'll, you'll be so happy you made that movie. Because you're right. You bring up a good point. Kurt Russell's been part of quite a few uh, cult classics. Right and right. movies that, I mean, half the stuff he did or most of what he did with Carpenter, um, are just cult classics that, that uh, that built over the years. So I don't know. Um, a couple of casting notes that I found really funny. Um, could you picture Doctor Weir being played by either of these two names? Uh, the first name I'll give you is Scott Glenn.
0: Yeah, I could buy that.
1: Because I could too. I think Scott Glenn is an underrated. Uh, actor, and th- at this point, he would have been—he wouldn't have looked like uh, like leather stretched over wood, <laughs> like he does now. So, I think it would have worked. Um, the other one, Bill Pullman. Uh, I can see why they
0: would cast them, but I don't—I I don't think I would buy it. I don't—I don't know if he would be able to to really pull that off.
1: I I could see Bill Pullman in this movie, not as Dr. Weir myself. Like I could have seen him. I could have seen him as captain Miller in some ways, because I think he's got that kind of that ability to, to after being the president and that speech that he gives on independence day for whatever you want to think of that movie, like that speech is really good, but I I can't see him playing the darker part. Although I don't know. I could, I mean, I could be way off, but Scott Glenn. Yes. Uh, so, and then (laughs) this one just cracked me up. Um, These three were considered for the role of Captain Miller. And I really think this is IMDb trivia where somebody just goes in and puts these names on any movie between certain years. Arnold Schwarzenegger, Tommy Lee Jones, and Bruce Willis were considered for the role of of Captain Miller. Uh, If by considered, you mean somebody who's like, you know who'd be good in this? Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, but we'll never get him. Yeah, you're right. All right, let's move on. Yep. (laughs) Um, And then Jeremy Irons and Amy Brenneman were originally set to star. So I'm wondering if Jeremy Irons was supposed to be Dr. Weir and maybe Brenneman was going to be Lieutenant Stark. Cause I think Stark in the original script and probably the, the first cuts, I think had even more of a role than she did being kind of the second in command. So uh, I could see Jeremy Irons in this. He'd be, this would have been a couple yeah. of years before dungeons and dragons. So he hadn't quite <laughs> gone to full scenery chewing mode yet. Uh,
0: Jeremy Irons would be, I think he would, he would have been a really good, uh, doctor Weir. I think he would, would have been really good to play that, uh, play up that evil aspect. uh, Oh, for sure.
1: Oh, he, he would have had a ball with that. I mean, just look at the, the roles that he's had and how much fun he has playing evil. Like I love him as Simon in, uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance and Scar in the Lion King. Like you can just tell he relishes playing those parts. So. I could I could see that. Um and then Sam Neill would have to come to the studio for the for the stuff at the end um, and get into makeup for 7 or 8 hours. My question is why they ended up framing everything so you can only see like a third of his face. <laughs> I would be upset if I was Sam Neill at that point like look I spent 8 hours in makeup for this. You can at least, you know, do some more wide shots. Um Yeah, they had him in
0: like a full bodysuit at the end with the scars all over him. Um, Yeah. But you can barely, it it only really shows up in like a few scenes. I think there's one like punch or a kick with with, uh, Lawrence Fishburne's character where you actually see like the whole body. But for the most part, Mm -hmm. it seems like it was just close shots, close shots of, uh,
1: you know, from the torso up. And I'm wondering if some of that was to get the R rating over the NC-17 because he's supposed to be naked too. Um, ah. and there was, so I did read about, and this was apparently shot, but then never used is, um, the scene where, uh, I, I like to call it the shining scene where the, that tank <laughs> fills up with all the blood and then bursts all over. Yeah. Yep. Um, that apparently when they were, uh, the way they originally kind of staged it out was that was how we appeared again, because, as it is now, it's this weird, like, the guy that's on fire shows up to Lawrence Fishburne, and then he morphs into Dr. Weir. Oh, um, right. But originally how they had it was he appeared inside that tank, and he breaks out of it, and then he's chasing Stark, and there was a shot when she falls down that ladder, and Cooper, yep. Cooper grabs her, there's a shot uh, that was supposed to be of Weir crawling down that ladder backwards. In that oh, okay. full makeup, kind of uh, in an homage to the the spider walk a little bit from The Exorcist. But him him in that full scarred up makeup crawling backwards down the ladder. And my guess is part of the cut for that was also for NC-17 to R. Um, because if he's supposed to be naked, we're probably seeing a lot of uh, Doctors Weir uh, flapping around. <laughs> and uh, we, we don't need to see that, I don't think, but... Because um, there was you know, one yeah. shot at the end where you could see, like, yeah, he's definitely supposed to be in a full body naked suit because he, I think when the the shot you were talking about where you see him kick yeah. and, like, launch Captain Miller, you can tell he's supposed to be naked there. Right. Very quick, but you can see it. Um, so, you know,
0: I kind of would have, I would have liked, because that, that scene of the blood, like, going over to vents. And then eventually going into the room, and then the shining moment where the blood like spills out. I actually would have preferred to see him appear at that scene. Like, that mm-hmm. would have made a lot more sense to me. Yes. Uh, and just him morphing from the fiery guy. Well, it's like, hey, I'm back and I got my eyes. Yeah.
1: So that was one of the things that they changed with the test screenings. Um, was the original ending had, uh, I had read something about there was more, um, more with weir at that point and like the whole thing with the the blood and the test audiences didn't like it so they went in a different direction and they had weird didn't show up but they had the guy on fire um, who was uh, the burning man or Edward Corrick I guess was his the character's name um, and then test the test audience didn't like that so they kind of made a mishmash of the two uh, but you're right like we're coming back and just morphing in at the end feels weird and kind of off put because yeah. I guess um, that was originally supposed to be some sort of manifestation of the darkness from the other side was manifesting itself as weird. so I don't know either way um, it, that's that that's to me still the weakest part is that that very end I love the idea of Captain Miller um, getting trapped and sacrificing himself for his crew because we've established that he doesn't want to lose any more crew members after that one guy. He's, he's steadfast on it, and now he's lost crew members, but he's going to do everything he can to keep those that he's got left alive. So I like that. I like the idea of him sacrificing himself, but it just feels so disjointed and weird at the end. So, um, But yeah, I mean, Event Horizon, uh, overall, I like the movie quite a bit. It sounds like you had a good time with it, too.
0: I did it. It kind of showed that, you know, and maybe it's because I just finished watching Mortal Kombat and uh, Monster <laughs> Hunter. Could be, but it Could kind be. of showed that that he has talent. You know, he does have some skills. There's some of some of the special effects are really dodgy, um, even for that time frame, and not just mm-hmm. like the CG, but some of the, like the explosions that happen on the ship. It's like uh, uh, like the frame rate is just off, and some oh, yeah. of the the slow motion scenes like at the end is looked a little jarring. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's other shots in the movie. um, Like there's an amazing shot of the crew uh, where they're all kind of framed together and they're all sitting around um, discussing like what they're going to do. And you get to see like each member of the crew and you get to see the set. You get to see like, you, you get to see everything. And I'm like, this is a nicely framed shot. Like this is really cool. Like I'm really invested in this. Paul Anderson, okay, you you got some skills. Good, good. Mm-hmm. And then you know some weird special effect that happened after that, and I'm like, ah, oh, <laughs> here we go, here we go. Um, but yeah, I did. I I actually did have a good time with this movie. And it it the other thing that really helped was, as soon as the movie started, there's like the 90s techno music. Yep. <laughs> the, Immediately puts me back into that time frame. I'm like, oh, okay. We're we're doing a movie from this part of my life. Okay. Yes. Now I now I know what to expect.
1: So um, oh, two two things I have to mention because I forgot. The moment that Smith reveals the explosive in the Lewis and Clark I yeah. think is my my favorite moment in the movie because here he, he's been so rough and tough and all that, and he, he notices where it is. He pulls that back and he sees, and there's five seconds left. And his reaction is just like, oh. And yeah. he just gets that forlorn look like, well, I'm dead, and there's nothing I can yep. do about it. Uh, that cracked me up. And then the music you brought up is perfect because I'd wrote down in my notes, you know, yep, we got us some, uh, some definite 90s ass, like metal techno stuff going on. So Paul Anderson originally wanted uh, Orbital to do the music for this movie. Uh, mm-hmm. cause he had, he'd had one of their songs in, um, or a couple of maybe in that were in, uh, Mortal Kombat and the studio balked at that. They're like, eh, I don't know. So, so he brought in, um, and I can't remember who did the music for this. I'll look it up here real quick, but he, the guy that, uh, Michael Kamen um, came in and worked with orbital and they, they did that music. And I do like that quite a bit. And then you had, um, prodigy for the end credits. <laughs> which
0: um, I completely forgot how much of a prodigy fan I was back in the nineties. <laughs>
1: like, oh my God. I haven't heard this in forever. Yeah. Same, same. And it's funny too, because the end credits are exactly as long as that song. They didn't cut oh, the right. song down at all. And the credits run for the length of the song and that's it because they did a very, um, old school credits up front opening as well. Mm-hmm. So,
0: yeah, they did. um, Maybe someone got cut out of the uh, the end credits. You're like, all right, we only have three minutes and
1: 23 seconds for the credits. So if they don't make it. the cut, they don't make the cut. <laughs> but, I mean, I think if you can handle the visuals of the movie, and that's a, that is a sticking point because I definitely know people that can't handle uh, a lot of gore. And there's gore in this movie. But if you can handle the gore in this movie, I think it's worth seeing. Because I think it's got interesting ideas. Some of them don't get uh, executed nearly as well as I would hope, but it's a it it's a it's a fun ride um, of a movie, and you just have to be ready for uh, Hellraiser in space because it's kind of what it turns into a little bit visually, and that can be very jarring. And it definitely was for me the first time I saw it. So. Uh, but I'm glad that you enjoyed it, um, and I'm glad that we could kind of fill that hole. So now you can uh, you can check out the Blu-ray, and you don't have to get chided by anybody for missing uh, Event Horizon anymore. So that's good.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I'll I'll definitely keep in mind that there is a difference between Enemy Mine and Event
1: Horizon. <laughs> yes, so. yes, uh, yeah. Enemy Mine. Uh, so I guess originally it was going to be aliens in this movie and before this was before Paul Anderson came along and he came along and kind of rearranged it and made it more supernatural. And that works so much better for it. I think the yeah. movie is much better uh, for that. And it, you know, it, it falls into that category of stuff like um, for me, this movie fits in with uh, movies like sunshine um, oh, yeah. or yeah, uh, Pandorum, which Pandorum was another movie that my first viewing of it, I was like, do I like this? But then I watched it again a couple years later, you know, and I realized, no, actually, this isn't too bad. Um, I, I can see what they're going for. It's not perfect, but um, but yeah, I, I think it kind of fits in those. And I love space movies with like space madness. And I kind of like haunted houses in space. Alien is one of my favorite. This is this movie is no alien, but um, but they tried. They tried to build that tension early on. And I appreciate the attempt, uh, the the payoff Maybe didn't quite hit the mark uh full on, but it's still uh it's, it's an hour and a half long and like I say if you can handle the gore um it's got some really cool stuff in it and the visuals the like I said the miniature work alone is worth checking out those miniatures for the Lewis and Clark and the event horizon are awesome like I would love to build the models of those and that's another uh, like I love miniatures for that reason because you know somebody built those, those things, somebody had to design and then physically build a model of that ship. Um, yeah. and, uh, they, they did a lot of, they did a lot of those shots that are a wide shot pushing in on a window. And <laughs> he like
0: loved those shots. There's a lot of those
1: shots. Like, they really are.
0: like too many, the first one, the very first one just goes on and on and on. I'm like, all right, dude, we get it. <laughs>
1: Uh, I guess the uh, the shot of the rotating um, space station with Sam Neill, where it starts on him and it pulls back, that was like yep. a third of the effects budget for that one shot, <laughs> and it's forty five seconds long. Like, <laughs> so it's amazing that the movie looks as good as it does. I think if you put that much of your budget into one shot, um, yeah. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I think Paul W S Anderson has some skill. Definitely, he's got he's got some things that he can do well. Um, I don't look at too many of his movies as being just outright awful. Uh, I oftentimes what I come away with, with this, with soldier, uh, resident evil, um, I haven't seen monster hunter yet, but I always feel like, like they're solid, but they just needed a little something more like either like this movie. I think he just needed more time. I think him coming in and being like, yeah, I can make that movie for you. And it was like, uh, Yeah, I can make that movie for you in 10 months. Sure. No problem. Yeah, Um, I think given more time, he could have massaged it a little bit more and gotten gotten just that little bit more out of it. The fact that he made this in less than a year, start to finish, like green light to in theaters is phenomenal, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, and it it kind of speaks a a little bit more about how Hollywood works, where they're like, all right, we have a window. (laughs) We need a movie to come out in this time frame.
1: Yep, that's exactly it." it. And that was, that was because, uh, there was another movie Paramount had in 97 that was supposed to come out in the summer and they had to push it back to December. And so that's when they were like, okay, well then we've got this open slot here. We can do this mo-. Titanic. That was what it was. Thank okay. you, Faye. <laughs>
0: I was gonna say, was it Titanic because that yeah. I'm sure that movie gave that studio all types of headaches.
1: Oh yeah, so that was supposed to come out in the summer and then they had to push it back. So that was when they realized they had the opening for this and they threw it in the they threw it to the wolves. And sadly, it didn't do well, but I'm glad it got the cult following that it did. Um, and you know, it could have the funny thing is, if you think about when this movie came out and the career that Paul Anderson has had, but the career he might have had had this been a big hit. You know, even by horror movie standards, because it was never going to be like a, a tentpole blockbuster because it's a heavily uh, violent R-rated film. But I just think of like, well, what, what projects might he have gotten after this Uh, instead of, I think his next one might've been Resident Evil. No, it was Soldier. That's what it was. Soldier was after this movie. So, I, don't yeah. know. I mean, I, I like Paul W.S. Anderson, but I also have come to the point where it's like I know what to expect. Like I haven't seen Monster Hunter yet, but I want to because I know what to expect from it. I have I have a well, pretty good idea.
0: We were going to do it on the show um, because we, uh, you know, we saw the previews for it last year and it, it came up as one of the uh, one of the movies that we were probably going to talk about on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it came out. And it was actually one of the few movies that was playing in theaters, That's right. um, even during pa- even during the pandemic. Uh, so I'm like, ah, I don't know if I really want to risk my life <laughs> to, <laughs> to go see Monster Hunter. No, so maybe we'll just wait for it to be on, uh, you know, on pay per view. And then it's like, I don't know if I really want to spend twenty bucks on on Monster Hunter. So um, I did eventually watch it. Uh, Redbox had it for like, you know, a dollar eighty. Uh, and yeah, and I, I got my money's worth. $1.80 okay. is just about right to spend for that movie.
1: And was that one that's PG thirteen, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Cause I that's one of the things I think with Paul Anderson that he typically works better when he can have a little looser and kinda of go R rated. Because I look at some of his stuff. Resident Evil, I didn't hate Resident Evil. Uh this movie I, I enjoyed, but like Alien versus Predator, that probably wasn't a great project for him to get on. Uh, to take two R-rated franchises and mash them together into a PG-13 uh, movie. Although, oh. it's better than Requiem. So.
0: Wait, I didn't realize. He did that one? He did the first Alien vs. Predator?
1: Yep, he did the first Alien vs. Predator. That was a couple years after um, Resident Evil. And then he did Death Race, was his next big movie in oh. 2008. Alright, uh, you know what? I
0: take back everything I said about him. I love Death Race. <laughs> that movie is amazing.
1: Because he did, he did Death Race, and then he went back to the Resident Evil well and did like three straight Resident Evil movies and threw in Pompeii, which I remember watching a trailer for Pompeii thinking, oh, this is going to be insane, and I want to see it, and I just haven't. So I, I kind of want to track that one down just to I, to see.
0: I saw that in the theaters, you know? <laughs> and I don't think I liked it, and I definitely remember Keifer Sutherland's, Keifer, Kiefer Sutherland's performance was really it just, it wasn't good. It just was not good. And mm-hmm. it really took me out of that movie. That's the, that's what I, that's my takeaway from that movie. Okay. Well, to that too.
1: but again, it's, you know, it's Paul Anderson. So I kind of have an idea of what to expect when I start watching it. Uh, that one in his three musketeers is another one that I, I just, I just feel like I want to watch, like, I kind of want to do like a Paul Anderson marathon of just, I'm going to watch some schlock. So, yeah. Cause you know, and I'm fine with that. Um, so, but yeah, uh, I, I'm really glad that you got to watch this one and I'm glad that you enjoyed it. Uh, that's a big one for me is I, I love to show people a new movie and for them to enjoy that movie. Um, I've had a pretty good track record of doing that so far, but, uh, but yeah, thank, thank you for coming on tonight. This was a, a fun conversation. Um, so this, this episode is going to end my So Wizard April uh, I've done, uh, four episodes this month and it's been the four people involved in the so wizard podcast. So you have been involved in that, um, since the beginning, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I missed the first episode. Uh, I wasn't in episode one cause I was working, mm-hmm. uh, at my video store job, <laughs> ah. uh, it was seven years, almost seven years ago. Video stores are still a thing. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, episode two I joined and, uh, yeah, I've been with them ever since.
1: And you guys are. Uh, not only a great show, but you haven't missed a week of putting a show out since you started, which is just crazy to me. Um, so congrats on that and, uh, and a fun show. And if you don't listen to it, I've been saying it all month, but if you're listening to my show and you don't listen to So Wizard, go check them out. It's sowizardpodcast.com, right?
0: Correct. Correct. Okay. So you can also find us on Twitter at, uh, at So Wizard Podcast and uh, Facebook and Instagram.
1: Excellent. Well, thank you, Mark Markellis, for being on. Uh, This was a ton of fun. We'll have to have you back sometime. What we need to do now is find a movie that you love that maybe I haven't seen, and we'll come back, and you can expose me to that, because I think that'll be fun.
0: There will be plenty of those, because I get so much crap for movies that I love that everyone else hates, uh, the latest one being uh, Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. My friends hate it. I love it. I didn't hate
1: it. I, the more I think about it, I, I try not to think about it too much because if I think about it, then I'm like, oh, yeah, but that doesn't make sense. And, oh, yeah, but, but then, I, but then I'm like, no, shut up. It's a Star Wars movie. Just sit back and enjoy. Right. And, yeah. and I'm fine with it, uh, which is what I have to do with a lot of J.J. Uh, J. Abrams movies. Like, nope, just shut up and enjoy it. He's, he's giving you fan service. <laughs> um, uh, I, I do want to say thank you
0: for, uh, having each of the members of the So Wizard podcast on. It was actually re- really cool for us to, um, uh, to be a part of this. Um, especially cause I finally got Joey to watch jaws, which has yes. been like my goal for years to the point where I just bought him the Blu-ray. So he didn't, he wouldn't have,
1: <laughs> when he said he hadn't seen jaws, I was that like, I, my jaw dropped. I was like, really? You had, how do you not see jaws? Like it, it, that movie came in the mail with boxes of tide. Like just everybody had seen <laughs> that movie. So, uh, yeah, this has been fun and I am glad that you guys were were all available and I was able to split it up and have everyone kind of get their own spotlight instead of, you know, having three or four of you on which would have been a fun conversation, don't get me wrong, but I feel like it would do a disservice to somebody somewhere along the line when you have too many voices going and I wanted to give each of you sort of your own your own platform to to learn a little bit more about you as guests but also kind of give you a chance to see something so and, and that's what's been fun is it was Jaws. Um, and then News of the World was the movie I did with Adam. And that was a ton of fun because I hadn't even heard of it before. And then Better Off Dead, which I thought I had seen uh, when Aubrey said, yeah, let's watch that. And I got 10 minutes into that movie realizing I've never seen this before. <laughs> so that was fun. And now Event Horizon. So the varied movies, uh, varied um, takes on stuff. It was, it, this has been a great month. I've, I'm really glad that we did this. And you guys are all welcome back anytime.
0: Great, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely take you up on it because it was, it was really good for all of us, too. Excellent, excellent.
1: Well, uh, you know, I uh, I record this live uh, Sunday nights, 8 p.m. at twitch.tv slash Travis. and you can hang out in the chat and be like Nisbet and Artemis and Phil. Uh, Danny Orr is in here, Phelan. Um, and and be like Artemis and yell a bunch of stuff at me, and then when I don't read it right away, um, bring it up later, that uh, that you already told me Titanic was the movie that... <laughs> And I, I I see you, I see you in there. Um, next week I am covering, uh, I'm going to be actually seeing for myself the first time, as well as my guest Jojo rabbit. Uh, I haven't seen it, uh, but I, I love Taika Waititi and I'm really curious to see. I've heard a lot of good things about it. And now next week I won't be recording on Sunday. We're going to be recording Monday night, um, because my guest Bill from, uh, 143 pixels and run, jump, stomp. It was just easier for him to work, uh, work doing it on a Monday. So next Monday is going to be Jojo rabbit. And I'm looking forward to that one. And uh, I've got a few other irons in the fire, a few other good ones coming up. So if you enjoy this show and you're listening to it, you can get it anywhere that you get podcasts. Um, Apple, Google, uh, I think it's on Spotify. Um, if you do leaving a review and rating, does help the show become more discoverable. So spread it word of mouth if you want, but also do that. That helps out the show a lot. Um, TVstravis.com is the easiest way to find the show and subscribe to it because I gave it a terrible name with punctuation and it's, it's hard to find by just searching. So uh, if you can do that, that'd be great. I uh, greatly appreciate that. And come on back next week for um, Jojo Rabbit. And uh, I think that's going to be fun. But for Markellis and myself, thank you. Enjoy your movies. And uh, remember... know each other skipper i got a question okay.
0: what the fuck are we doing way out of here diamond club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>